friends it's sunday again today and i'm vivek mar signing signing in again today with day 46 of the book reading marathon challenge today we're going to talk about the book 0 to 1 chapter 6 by peter thai and blake masters in this chapter we are going to talk about you're not a lottery ticket the most continuous question in business is whether success comes from luck or skill what do successful people say malcolm gladwell a successful author who writes about successful people declares in outliners that success results from a patchwork of lucky breaks and arbitrary advantages warren buffett famously considered considers himself a member of the lucky sperm club and a winner of the ovarian lottery Jeff Bezos attributes imagine success to an incredible planetary alignment and jokes that it was half luck half good timing and the rest brains Bill Gates even goes so far as to claim that he was lucky to be born with certain skills though it's not clear whether that's actually possible perhaps these guys are being strategically humble however the phenomenon of serial entrepreneurship would seem to call into question our tendency to explain success as the product of chance hundreds of people have started multiple multi-millionaire dollar businesses a few like steve jobs jack dorsey and elon musk have created several multi-billionaire multi-billion dollar companies if success were mostly a matter of luck these kinds of serial entrepreneurs probably wouldn't exist In January 2013, Jack Dorsey, founder of Twitter and Square, tweeted to his 2 million followers, "Success is never accidental." Most of the replies were unambiguously negative, referring uh, referencing the tweet in the Atlantic reporter Alexi Mardigal wrote that his instinct was to reply, "Success is never accidental," and all multimillionaire white men It's true that already successful people have an easier time doing new things whether due to their networks wealth or experience but perhaps we have become too quick to dismiss anyone who claims to have succeeded according to plan Is there a way to settle this debate objectively unfortunately not because companies are not experiments to get a scientific answer about facebook for example we have Uh, we would have to rewind to 2004 create 1000 copies of the world and start facebook in each copy to see how many times it would succeed but that experiment is impossible every company starts in unique circumstances and every company starts only once the statistics doesn't work when the sample size is one from the renaissance and enlightenment to the mid 20th century luck was something to be mastered dominated and controlled everyone agreed that you should do what you could not focus on what you couldn't ralph waldo emerson captured this ethos when he wrote salomon believe in luck believe in circumstances salomon believe in luck and circumstances a strong man believe in cause and effect in 1912 After he became the first explorer to reach the South Pole, Ronald Armstrong wrote, "Victory awaits his, uh, him who has everything in order. Luck, 
people call it no one pretended that this that misfortune didn't exist but prior generation believed in making their own luck by working hard if you believe your life is mainly a matter of chance why did this book learning about startups is worthless if you are just reading stories about people who won the lottery slot machines for dummies can purport to tell you what kind of rabbits food to rub or how to tell which machine are hot but it can't tell you how to do did bill gates simply win the intelligence lottery was charlie sandberg born with a silver spoon or did she learn it when we debate historical questions like these luck is in the past tense far more important are questions about the future it is matter of chance or design can you control your future you can expect the future to take a different form or you can treat it as hazily uncertain if you treat the future as something definite it takes sense to understand it in advance and work to shape it but if you expect an indefinite future ruled by randomness you will give up on trying to master it indefinite attitude to the future explains what's most dysfunctional in our world today process trumps substance when people lack cons- concrete plans to carry out they use formal rules to assemble a portfolio of various options this describes americans today in middle school we are encouraged to start hoarding extracurricular activities in high school ambitious ambitious students compete even harder to appear omnicompetent by the time a student gets to college he has spent a decade creating a bewilderingly diverse resume to prepare for a completely unknown future come what may he is ready for nothing in particular a definite view by contrast favors firm convictions instead of pursuing many sided mediocrity and calling it well roundedness a definite person determines that one best thing to do and then does it instead of working tirelessly to make herself indistinguishable the stripes to be great at something substantive to be a monopoly of one this is not what young people to do today because everyone around them has long since lost faith in a definite world no one gets into stanford by excelling in a, in just one thing unless that thing happens to involve throwing or catching a leather ball you can also expect the future to be either better or worse than the present optimists welcome the future pessimists fear it combining these possibilities yields four views the first one is indefinite pessimism every culture has a myth of decline from some golden age and almost all people throughout history have been pessimists even today pessimism pessimism still dominates huge part of the world and indefinite pessimists looks out onto a bleak future but he has no idea what to do about it this describes europe since the uh, europe since the early 1970s when the continent scumbled to undirected bureaucratic drift today the whole Euro- eurozone is in slow motion crisis and nobody is in charge the european central bank doesn't stand for anything but improvisation improvisation 
the US Treasury prints in God we trust on the dollar the ECB might as well print kick the can down the road on the euro Europeans just react to events as they happen and hope things don't don't get worse the inf- indefinite pessimist can't know whether the inevitable decline will be fast or slow catastrophic or gradual all he can do is wait for it to happen so he might as well eat drink and be merry in the meantime hence european's famous vacation mania definite pessimism a definite pessimist believes the future can be known but since it will be bleak he must prepare for it perhaps surprisingly china is probably the most definitely pessimistic place in the world today when americans see the chinese economy grow uh, ferociously fast 10% per year since 2000 we imagine a confident country mastering its future but that's because americans are still optimists and we project our optimism onto china from china's viewpoint economic growth cannot come fast enough every other country is afraid that china is going to take over the world china is the only country afraid that it don't china can grow so fast only because its starting base is so low the easiest way for china to grow is to relentlessly copy what has already worked in the west and that's exactly what it's doing executing definite plans by burning even more coal to build even more factories and skyscrapers but with a huge population pushing resources prices higher there's no way chinese living standards can even actually catch up to those of the richest countries and the chinese know it this is why the chinese leadership is obsessed with the way in which things threaten to get worse every senior chinese chinese leader experienced famine as famine as a child so when the politburo looks to the future disaster is not an abstraction the chinese public too knows that winter is coming outsiders are fascinated by the great fortunes being made inside china but they pay less attention to the wealthy chinese trying hard to get their money out of the country poorer chinese just save everything they can and hope it will be enough every class of people in china takes the future deadly seriously now comes the second point definite optimism to a definite optimist the future will be better than the present if he plans and works to make it better from the 17th century through the 1950s and 60s definite optimism optimists like the western world scientists engineers doctors and businessmen made the world richer healthier and more long lived than previously imaginable as karl marx and friedrich engels saw clearly the 19th century business class created more massive and more colossal productive forces than all preceding generations together subjection of nature's forces to man machinery application of chemistry to industry and agriculture stream navigation railways electric telegraph telegraphs clearing of whole continents for cultivation canalization of rivers whole population conjured out of the ground what early centuries century had even a prestiment that such productive forces slumbered in the lap of social level 
each generation's inventors and visionaries surpassed their predecessors predecessors in 1843 in 1843 the london public was invited to pay, make its first crossing underbed the river thames by a newly dug tunnel in 1869 the switch canal saved eurasian shipping traffic from rounding the cap of good hope in 1914 the panama canal cut short the route from atlantic to pacific even the great depression failed to impede relentless progress in the united states which has always been home to the world's most far seeing definition optimists the empire state building was started in 1929 and finished in 1931 the golden gate bridge was started in 1933 and completed in 1937 the manhattan project was started in 1941 and had already produced the world's first nuclear bomb by 1945 Americans continued to make the remake the face of the world in peace time the interstate highway system began construction in began its construction in 1956 and the first 20000 miles of road were opened for driving by 1965 definite planning even uh, went beyond the surface of this planet nasa's apollo program began in 1961 and put 12 men on the moon before it finished in 1972 bold plans were not reserved just for political leaders or government scientists in the late 1940s a california named john rubber set out to reinvent the physical geography of the whole san francisco bay area rubber was a school teacher an amateur theater producer and a self-taught engineer undaunted by his lack of credentials he publicly proposed to build two huge dams in the bay construct massive fresh water lakes for drinking water and irrigation and reclaim 20000 acres of land for development even though he had no personal authority people took the river plan seriously it was endorsed by newspaper editorial boards called california across california the us congress held hearings of its feasibility the army corps of engineers even constructed a 1.5 acre scale model of the bay in a cavernous sostilo warehouse to stimulate it these tests revealed technical shortcomings so the plan wasn't executed but would anybody today take such a vision seriously in the first place in the 1950s people welcomed big plans and asked whether they would work today a grand plan coming from a school teacher would be dismissed as crankery and a long range vision coming from anyone more powerful would be derided as hubris you can still visit the bay model in that son selito warehouse but today it's just a tourist attraction big plans for the future have become archaic curiosities In 1950s America thought big plans for the future were too important to be left to experts. Indefinite life. Our ancestors sought to understand and extend the human lifespan in the 16th century. Conquistadors searched the jungles of 
Florida for a fountain of youth. Francis Bacon wrote that the prolongation of life should be considered its own branch of medicine and the novelist in the 1960s Robert Boyle placed life extension along with the recovery of youth atop his famous with wish uh, list to the future of science whether through geographic exploration or laboratory research the best minds of the renaissance thought of death has something to defeat some res- uh, resistors were killed in action bacon caught pneumonia and died in 1920, 1626 while experimenting to see if he could extend a chicken's life by freezing it in snow we haven't yet uncovered the secret of life but insurers and statisticians in the 19th century successfully revealed a secret about death that still governs our thinking today they discovered how to reduce it to a mathematical probability life tables tell us our tell us our chance of dying in any given year sometimes something previous generations didn't know however in exchange for better insurance contracts we seem to have given up the search for secrets about longevity systematic knowledge of the current range of human lifespan has made that range seem natural today our society is permeated by the twin ideas that death is both inevitable and random meanwhile probabilistic attitude has come to shape the agenda of biology itself in 1928 scottish scientist alexander fleming found that a mysterious antibacterial fungus had grown on a petri dish he, he had forgotten to cover uh, in his laboratory he discovered penicillin by accident scientists have uh, sought to harness the power of chance ever since modern drug discovery aims to amplify fleming's serendipitous circumstances a million million fold a million fold pharmaceutical companies search through combinations of molecular compounds at random hoping to find a hit but it's not working as well as it used to despite dramatic advances over the past two centuries in recent decades biotechnology hasn't met the expectation of investors or patients irum's law that's mori's law backward observes that the number of new drugs approved per billion dollar spent on r&d has halved halved every 9 years since 1950 since information technology accelerated faster than ever during those same year the big question for biotech today is whether it will ever see similar progress compare biotech startups to their counterparts in computer software biotech startups are an extreme example of indefinite thinking researchers experiment with these that just might work instead of refining definite theories about how the body's system operate biologists say that they say they need to work this way because the underlying biology is hard according to them it startups work because we created computers ourselves and designed them to reliably obey our commands biotech is different because we didn't design our bodies and the more we learn about them the more complex they turn out to be but today it's possible to wonder whether the gen, gen, 
genuine difficulty of biology has become an excuse for biotech startups indefinite approach to business in general most of the people involved expect some things to work eventually but few wants to commit to a specific company with the level of intensity necessary for success it starts with the professors who often become part time consultant instead of full time employees even for the biotech startups that begin from the their own research then everyone else imitates the professors indefinite attitude it's easy for libertarians libertarians to claim that heavy regulation holds biotech back and it does but indefinite optimism may pose an even greater challenge for future biotechs future of biotech is indefinite optimism even possible what kind of future will our indefinitely optimistic decision bring about if american households were saving at least they could expect to have money to spend it and if american companies were investing they could expect to reap the rewards of new wealth in the future but us households are saying saving almost nothing and us companies are letting cash pile up on their balance sheets without investing in new projects because they don't have any concrete plan for the future the other three views of the future can work definite optimism work when you build the future you uh, when you build the future you envision definite pessimism works by building what can be copied without expecting anything new indefinite pessimism works because it's self fulfilling if you are a slacker with low expectations they will probably be met but indefinite optimism seems inherently unsustainable how can the future get better if no one plans for it actually most everybody in the modern world has already heard an answer to this question progress without planning is what we call evolution darwin himself wrote that life tends to progress without anybody intending it every living thing is just a random iteration of on some other organism and the best iteration win darwin's theory explains the origin of trilobites and dinosaurs but can it be extended to domains that are but can it be extended to the domains that are far removed just as newtonian physics can't explain black holes or the big bang it's not clear that darwin's biology should explain how to build a better society or how to create a new business out of nothing it in recent years darwin's or pseudo darwinian metaphors have become common in business journalists analogize literal survival survival in competitive ecosystem to corporate survival in competitive markets hence all the headlines like digital darwinism dot com darwinism and survival of the clickest even in the engineering driven silicon valley the buzzwords of the moment call for building a learn startup that can adapt and evolve to a ever changing environment would be entrepreneurs are told that nothing can be known in advance we are supposed to listen to what customers say they want make nothing more than a minimum viable viable product and iterate our ways to success 
but learners but leanness is a methodology not a goal making small changes to things that already exist might lead you to a local maximum but it won't help you find the global maximum you could build the best version of an app that lets people order toilet papers from their iphone but iteration without a bold plan won't take you from 0 to 1 a company is the strangest place of all for an indefinite optimism optimists why should you expect your own business to succeed without a plan to have to make it happen darwinism may be a fine theory in other context but in startups intelligent design works the best the return of design what would it mean what would it mean to prioritize design over chance today good design is an aesthetic imperative and everybody from slackers to ups carefully cut curates their outward appearance it's true that every great entrepreneur is first and foremost a designer anyone who has held an i device or a smoothly mechanized macbook has felt the result of steve jobs obsession with visual and experimental perfection but the most important lesson to learn from jobs has not to do with aesthetics the greatest thing jobs designed was his business apple imagined and executed different multi-year plans to create new products and distribute them effectively forget minimum viable viable products ever since he started apple in 1976 jobs saw that you can change the world through careful planning not by listening to focus groups feedback or copying other successes long term planning is often undervalued by our indefinite short term world when the first ipod was released in october 2001 industry analysts couldn't see much more than a nice future feature for matchstones uses that doesn't make any difference to the rest of the world jobs planned the ipod to the to be the first of a new generation of portable post pc devices but that secret was invisible to most people one look at the company's stock chart shows the harvest of the power of plan how the harvest of this multi year plan the power of planning explains the difficulty of valuing private companies when a big company makes a offer to acquire a successful startup it almost always offers too much or too little founders only sell when they have no more concrete reason for the company in which case the acquirer probably overpaid definite founders would uh, robust plans don't sell when uh, which means the offer wasn't high enough when yahoo offered to buy facebook for 1 billion dollars in july 2006 i thought we we should at least consider it but mark jukenberg walked into the board meeting and announced okay guys this is just a formality it shouldn't take more than 10 minutes we are obviously not going to sell here mark saw where uh, where he could take the company and yahoo didn't a business with a good definite plan will always be under underrated 
in a world where people see the future as random you are not a lottery ticket we have to find our way back to a different future and the western world needs nothing sort of a cultural revolution to do it where to start john rawls will need to be displaced in a philosophy department malcolm gladwell must be persuaded to change his theories and pollsters have to be driven from politics but the philosophy professors and the glad and the gladwells of the world are set in their ways to say nothing to our politicians it's extremely hard to make changes in the in those crowded fields even with brains and good intentions a startup is the largest endeavor over which you can have definite mastery you can have agency not just over your uh, own life but over a small and important part of the world it begins by rejecting the unjust tyranny of chance you are not a lottery ticket so friends thank you very much for listening patiently chapter 6 of chiro to one by peter thai and black masters we have covered we have completed the day 46 and on thursday we'll be coming out with the chapter 7 where we'll talk about the follow to follow the money so thank you very much Thank you.